we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. I feel like he's with us in a mighty way, and we just need to focus. It's good to see uh, everybody here for the early service. We're thankful you're here. Um, I know that uh, we are still, uh, you know, school's just a few weeks away, so everybody's cramming in those last-minute trips as much as they can, and I don't blame them trying, getting ready for for uh, the school year to, to come upon us, and, and we're praying about that. And we're going to boost this again in just a little bit, but uh, Back to School Bash is set for Wednesday the 27th, and that's from 4 to 8 uh, is when it'll take place for, at the track field at the pavilion. Uh, we've got several churches that are partnering with us this year. Can we give God some praise for that? Several churches coming in to help us with that this year. And uh, we hope that that will grow because this is about bringing unity to the body of Christ and putting a united effort forth to show that we are, we, are, we are the body of Christ worshiping in different locations, but we all make up His church, amen, bought by His blood, purchased by Him. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and, and mark John, the second chapter. We're going to be bringing uh, the message from particularly this text today, but before we do that, we started last week our series on miracles. Um, and uh, we're going to hang in here for a little bit till the Lord tells me we're done. But uh, we are, we're talking about miracles. And last week we talked about Naaman in the Old Testament, how he had contracted leprosy and he was an unbeliever. He didn't believe in God. And the, the last week's message was about are you positioning yourself for a miracle? Are you placing yourself in a position for God to move in your life? Uh, there's a lot of times we need answers and we need God to move, but we're not positioning ourselves for that. Um, we just kind of, okay, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. But God is uh, wanting us as, the, as his children to put ourselves in a position to receive. Look, I, I can't expect for God's blessings and his miracles, his supernatural miracles to pour out on my life if he is not first place in my life. I really can't. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, that is using him as a convenience and not serving him as my God. Okay, uh, and a lot of people look for that band-aid. Uh, they look for that quick fix, and God is not into a quick fix. And I'm going to tell you, God is always about getting the glory. And so uh, that brings us to our first miracle. And and we're not going to just be in the New Testament during this series. We're going to be back and forth. We're going to be in the Old Testament, but this week we're in the New Testament. But our anchor verses for the series is Mark 16:17 through 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They, uh, they, uh, they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And I was uh, kind of put on the spot during man cave. They said, you, what about the serpent part? I got news for you. You break out snakes, I'm making a new door somewhere in this building, okay? But what, what I kind of explained to them is most theologians believe that, that when he says, if you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. He didn't say, go drink deadly things, okay? He says, and if you pick up serpents, you got to realize they would place serpents uh, in the beds of, of people to assassinate them. Okay, what Jesus was telling them is they're going to come after you, but when they do, don't fear because I got you. I got you, okay? Now, there's some people that go to the extremes, and I'm praying for them uh, because they're crazy, 
Amen. You can laugh. They're just crazy. They're picking up them serpents, and I'm, uh, they're crazy. So, uh, again, I, there is a verse that says, don't tempt God. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Let's read this, uh, and this is out of the um, English Standard Version. On the third day, there was a wedding in, in, at Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also invited to the wedding uh, with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus answered her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stones of water jars there for the, uh, the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And when they had filled them up to the brim, he said to them, now draw out some, of, some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now, uh, had now become wine and, and did not know where it had came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept good wine until now. This, this, was the first sign, uh, this was the first of his signs Jesus did in Canaan, in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed. Okay, his disciples believed, and that's very important for us to mark in that scripture. Now, I've often questioned and wondered about this miracle, and I've shared messages on it before, and I'm, well, I'm not giving you a repeat today, though there will be you know, one or two points from the past, but uh, why would Jesus choose, or why, did, why was it God's will for, for him to turn water into wine as the first miracle that he would perform? And actually, if you understand this text, this miracle, was premature according to Jesus. He didn't plan on doing any miracles, but his mother, amen, had influence on him because he was, he, he loved his mother and said, now, you know what, mama's telling you to, you know, I need you to fix this problem. And he, he what showed us the pattern of obedience to his parents, amen. He, he honored his mother and he followed through and he did a miracle really not, he said, this isn't the right time. This, isn't, this is the wrong time for me. This is not my time. But you know what? He made it his time because he loved his mother. Now, there's a few other things that influence this that we're going to look into today. Jesus, In other words, when you look at the miracles, John said in John 20, verses 30 through 31, and I'm just going to kind of quote this, he said that you know many marvels and wonders were done that have not been recorded in the book. In other words, John had a lot of miracles he could have chosen, but he chose this miracle to, to, to show this was the the first of the miracles that Jesus did. This is the first thing he did <coughs> as he launched his ministry, <coughs> excuse me, on the earth. So what is there about this miracle that will enable us to have faith in Jesus? Out of all the miracles Jesus could have performed to begin his ministry, why did he choose uh, this one? Why was it water into wine? I've said it many times before. He could have chose the feeding of 5,000 to begin. I mean, think about this. We are launching our ministry as the Son of God. He could have, you know, if it's me choosing, if it's you choosing, how many of you would have picked one of the big miracles to get things started. I mean, God could have said, you know, Jesus could have said, I'm the Messiah, and lightning struck in the sky and spelled out Jesus of Nazareth. You know, uh, I, you know I, I think that way. I don't know if you think that way. But, you know, he could have done anything. He could have fed the 5,000. He, he, he could have cleansed some lepers. Let's get a whole leper colony cleansed. That, that's a good way to launch your ministry. But instead, he makes some Kool-Aid, Okay. 
Now, I'm not underestimating this miracle, and you're going to see why I don't underestimate this miracle, but it doesn't exactly meet the flair of all the other miracles, does it? It doesn't have the flamboyance of, uh, uh, of, of taking a little boy's lunch and feeding multitudes or making eyes uh, where there are no eyes by making mud in the ground and telling a guy to go wash his eye sockets out and new eyeballs there, amen? It, it doesn't have the flair of some of the other miracles of going to the, to, to the pool of, uh, of, of Shalom or the pool of Solomon and saying to the man who'd been uh, lame from birth, rise up and walk. You want to be healed. It it just seems to lack luster. And I think that there's a lot to be learned in this miracle. In other words, this miracle at first glance is kind of ordinary compared to all the other things that Jesus would do. But it is far from ordinary. One of the lessons that we can learn is found in the third verse. And it says this, they had ran out of wine. In other words, I think the very first thing that we need to to understand is though we can put our best effort forth in our lives, there is going to be a moment where the tank is dry. There's going to be a moment where we are empty. There's going to be a moment where we're needing something that we cannot produce ourselves, something we cannot manufacture on our own. In other words, there's going to be a time in your life that you need a miracle. There's going to be a time in your life when you cannot manufacture the results by your own will, your own power, your own hand, or anybody else's. You're going to be in need of a divine intervention of God. We fall short of in, in life. We, have, uh, we, we, we sometimes don't have enough to carry us through what we're facing. We're going to have those times in our life, and we're going to have to need a miracle from the Lord. Now, the first thing that I want you to understand about this miracle is it is quite remarkable. Not just a drop of wine was produced, but six water jars were produced. Uh, in other words, stone jars of, of purification that hold, would hold anywhere from 30 to 40 gallons. I want you to think about that. that so he didn't just do a light-handed miracle here. It was pretty uh, spectacular. I think there's four reasons why Jesus performed this miracle, and we're going to look at those four reasons today. Number one, compassion. One of the simplest levels of a miracle is simply he had compassion. How many times through the world, through the word of God, through the New Testament, do we see and Jesus had compassion upon the multitude? Or Jesus had compassion upon the man? Jesus had compassion upon the widow? Several times, compassion moves Christ. In other words, there's a lot of people that think Jesus is stingy with his miracles, but I've got news for you. The Bible says that he is touched by the feelings of our weaknesses, our infirmities, and it is by his stripes that we are healed. Can somebody praise God for that? He, is, he has compassion about your situation. He has compassion. He is not stingy with that. Number two thing we need to learn today is this miracle is covenantal. In other words, it represents covenant. On a deeper level, the turning of water into wine is about covenant. It represents the new covenant of Jesus was being ushered in. As one commentary put it this way, Jesus replaces the old wine of Judaism with the new covenant of his blood being shed for lost humanity. In other words, this is a metaphor of what would come later in the communion. Blood has always signified, our wine has always signified the shed blood of Jesus throughout the scripture. And you better believe that at the very beginning before Jesus did anything else, he was showing it was through the blood that miracles will happen. Through the blood that would be shed. So number two, it's covenantal. It's about covenant. Number three, it's about confidence. 
Amen? It's about confidence. The third reason for this miracle was Jesus wanted to develop confidence, not in himself. He knew what he could do. He knew what he was capable of. He's known that since about age 12. He was found in the temple doing, you know, teaching on a level higher than the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were in wonder at what he was doing. So he was aware. He was very self-aware. So it wasn't that, let me try a miracle and see if it works. He knew that. Who was he trying to build confidence? In. He was trying to build confidence within his disciples. He was got, trying to get them to trust in who he was. And then the fourth thing we want to learn from this today is Jesus never wants us to settle for the ordinary because this is about prophetic. He is speaking prophetic things through this miracle. In other words, there is a new covenant coming. There's a new way coming. And I am speaking prophetically is what he's saying through this miracle. So we're going to look at those four things in a little bit more detail. Let's look at the first one. The first thing is compassion. Jesus felt compassion for this couple. They were just about to make a historical memory of their married life. In other words, you got to understand Middle Eastern weddings were not like ours. They didn't go on week-long honeymoons. They kept their house open for weeks for visitors to come and go and honor them with gifts and celebrate their wedding. It was a party that lasted for several days. And so, number one, he had compassion on them because he knew that this was not going to be easily forgotten by the people that they lived with, by their friends, their family, and their relatives. In other words, them running out of wine was a social no-no in this culture, and he knew that this was not going to be a good thing. So Jesus had compassion on this couple. He looked at what was about to happen. In those days, running out of wine at a wedding was a, not a minor social inconvenience. In the first Entry running out of wine in a wedding was a social disgrace. It brought disgrace on your home. So that this would not be easily forgotten by this couple. Years later, when they're celebrating their, their 10th and their 15th and their 20th anniversary, I promise you the memory of this would come back. All right, so this was a big deal. So Jesus had compassion. The couple, had, in other words, number one, they hadn't planned too well. They didn't, they didn't plan too well. They, maybe they had more guests show up than they planned on. You ever had that happen? More guests than you planned on? We were joking the other day about the, uh, when we lived in Cartersville when I was a kid. My sister turned 16, and, and they were gonna have a, she was going to have a party, and she told Mom, I'm going to have a few friends over. Well, a few friends told a few friends, told a few friends that told a few friends, and we ended up with over 100 people at our house. All right, we didn't plan for that. Mom hadn't planned for that. So again, maybe that took place. But regardless of what happened, they were not prepared to run empty. Some of us are not prepared when our tank runs dry. We're not prepared for the situations that come our way because we have not positioned ourselves to hear from God. We haven't positioned ourselves for a miracle. And so we, we, we're not prepared. The major, this was a major uh, uh, breach uh, of hospitality in this culture. It was devastating to this couple. Me and you, you may not think, it's, uh, think much of this, but this was a social mark against them. And in those days, weddings would go for weeks at a time. Jesus helped them out. And it was worth reflecting on the fact that when God does something, he does it well. Aren't you thankful for that? I've got news for you. When God does a miracle, he does it well. He doesn't do it halfway. He doesn't do it half-hearted. When he does something, he does it well. Praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, whatever your way 
waiting on, whatever miracle you're needing in your life, I want you to remember God does it well. He has compassion on you. When Jesus changed the water into wine, he didn't make some cheap byproduct. He didn't get some generic knockoff. Amen? What did the, feast say, the, the master of the feast say? He saved the best for last. Look at somebody and say, he saved the best for last. His miracles are not knockoffs or generic, but he has in mind the best for his children. I want you to understand today, some of us, we're settling for scraps that are falling from the table and God says, forget the scraps, pull up a chair. I've got a feast in mind. I've got, I've got the best in mind for you. Quit taking the scraps when God has the best. Now, i got a question for you. How many glasses of wine uh, uh, do you think these stone jars uh, uh, represented? Now, here's some possible answers. Maybe 24 glasses, okay? 24 glasses of wine. Uh, we might think that it represented that. Somebody pray my paper will quit sticking together here, and I can tell you how much more. Um, thank you. All right, 24 glasses of wine, 240 glasses of wine, 1,200 glasses of wine, 24,000 glasses of wine. The actual answer is 2,400 glasses of wine approximately. This would have produced, according to the Gospel of John and tradition, about 150 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. 150 gallons of wine. Now, no one can say that Jesus held back. Nobody can say that Jesus gave them just enough to get by. In other words, Jesus gave them exceedingly and above and beyond what they would ask. Listen, I'm telling you, some of us are asking God to do something in our lives, and we're settling for crumbs when God has a feast. He's got a whole loaf of bread for you, not just a piece of bread for you. I'm telling you right now, I don't know about you, but I want God's miracles in my life. And when his miracles come, they're going to blow my mind because they're going to be a Above what I've asked. Amen. We've got to have faith that believes in killing giants, not killing <laughs> some little foot soldier on the battlefield. Amen. In other words, look what the master of the banquet said about it. When the master of the banquet in verse 9 uh, and 10 says, When the master of the banquet uh, of the feast tasted the, the water now become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants knew. Wouldn't you love to have been one of them servants? Sitting there going, he's going, wow, this is awesome. They're going, man, you just don't know. When he tasted it, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. God has high standards, even at parties. God has high standards. In other words, his miracles are not subpar. It might be in the nick of time, but you can count on Jesus to come through. Now, I'm going to share a real-life story about this today. I shared with you uh, a, little back, a little time ago that Bethany had told us at Forward Conference that Laura Jo, has, uh, she has been very, very sick with diarrhea. She has kept dysentery, and they've taken her to doctors. They've done multiple tests. They can't figure out what's going on with this child. They came to visit, uh, come home and visit 
visited. I hate to say visited because this is home for them. But I, I told her, I said, go get Laura Joe out of the nursery. We came and we prayed, and I would love to tell you heaven fell. We just prayed a prayer of faith, and we believed that God would touch the child. Well, she couldn't wait. She was at Ford, and she, it was, if you've ever been to Ford, it's pretty loud, so you can't really carry on conversations, but she couldn't stand it anymore. And she was sitting in front of us, and she had typed it out on her phone, and she said, every since we prayed for Laura Joe, she's had zero dysentery. So she has been at zero, zero. Okay? God did a miracle. But are you ready? Because God always does exceedingly above and beyond what we ask. So she, she calls me at, it was 6 a.m. last Saturday morning. Okay? Last Saturday morning, she, says, she, she texts me and says, are you up? And I was up. And I said, yes, I'm up. She said, I need to tell you something. So she calls me and she says, the other, she said the Sunday we took Laura Jo to church and, and said we, they give her a sticker saying that she's allergic to dairy because dairy does her, breaks her out in hives and, and gives her extreme problems. And she said, she can't, I pack her snacks that are safe for her. So, well, she comes back and her bag of snacks is full and the nursery had messed up. And they had given her goldfish, which has dairy in it. And she said, I asked her what she ate and said she got this sheepish grin on her face because she knows she's not supposed to have them. She said, I ate goldfish. She said, I kept waiting for hives. I kept waiting. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, God's going to do beyond what you ask. And she said, no hives. I got a picture this week, Tina and I did, of her sitting there grinning ear to ear because she had just ate ice cream. No hives, no breakouts. What are you saying? God will do beyond what you believe him for. She said, I love what Bethany said because it's the epitome of all of us. She said, why would I not believe God would do that too? Why would I not trust that if God did one thing, he won't do another? What are you saying, pastor? Quit looking for the mundane. Quit thinking that God is just going to fill your cup with wine. He's going to be, it's going to be the best you've ever tasted, my friend. Trust in the miracle power of your God. Trust in it. Amen. Number two. God's new covenant is represented in this. Those at the wedding would not uh, would have known the Old Testament scriptures very well, and they would have known that the that an abundance of wine symbolized the arrival of God's promise and presence. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you out of the Old Testament. Amos 9, verses 13 and 14 says, The time will surely come, says the Lord, when the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and the hills shall overflow with it, when my people shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And then Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 10 says, On this mountain the Lord will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine and well-aged wines uh, uh, strained clear. This is the Lord from whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice for his salvation. Both of these prophecies are referring to the coming of the kingdom of God to the earth. And so the, the people at the wedding would have known these scriptures very well and they would know that wine represents the coming of the kingdom. So Jesus was introducing his ministry on the earth by saying the kingdom has come. I am here, the king of kings. I am able to do above what you think or what you ask because I am in your life how many of us have sold him short for who he is I've got news for you he's not a prophet he's not a poet he's not just some teacher he's not some rabbi he's the king of kings the lord of lords he is God almighty and can do beyond what you ask if you believe it he knows how to do miracles miracles 
Amen. By providing abundance of wine, Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. Wine in the Bible also represents the blood. At the Lord's Supper, it represents the blood. His, his blood, the new uh, covenant, the new promise given to us. Mark 2 verse 22 says, And no man puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst, burst the skins. The wine is destroyed and the skins are lost. But new wine goes into fresh wineskins. Miracles will always happen when we allow ourselves to be renewed by the blood of Jesus. Get this once and done out of your head. However many times. When do we stop repenting? I'm going to tell you when you stop repenting. When you stop sinning. That's when we stop repenting. But if we want a miracle, the very first thing that we need is the miracle of the cleansing blood of Jesus in our lives. You want a miracle? Be dipped in the blood and filled with the new wine of Jesus. Number three, the confidence that Jesus is looking at to develop in his disciples. The result of this miracle develops faith. John 2, 11 says plainly uh, this. This is the first sign Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And listen to this part, verse 11. And his disciples believed... Everybody say believed in him. Up to this point, they were following, but they weren't necessarily believing. I'll give you a great illustration. How many Braves fans do we have here? Okay. How many of you have followed but not believed? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. You followed, but you hadn't really believed. Okay. And then they finally did it last year. And then all y'all looked at somebody and said, I knew it all the time. I knew that. <laughs> no, you didn't. You were just like me. They're going to choke. They didn't choke. The disciples followed. Jacob, they weren't believing. After this miracle, the Bible says they believed. In what? In him. Now you say, well, that's strange. I thought they already believed in him. We'll get to that. Was faith... <laughs> Faith was, in other words, the result of this miracle generated faith in them. I like to think of it uh, through this, this way. Why? Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus uh, was looking out to develop the faith in others. The miracles were never to, have, to, to, to do anything but to develop your faith. When you read about the miracles or when you experience a miracle in your life, listen, <coughs> it's about developing your faith in Jesus. When you hear about Laura Joe, that should be developing your faith in Jesus. Because if God can do that for Bethany and Caleb and their little girl, what can God do for you? Because the Bible says what? Well, you know, they're, I don't know, maybe you're doing that comparison game, but they're better than us. They live a better life. Listen, the Bible says he's no respecter of persons. So he's not looking and saying, well, Derry's living a little more righteous than, than Dwayne, so I'm going to give Derry miracles, and I'm not going to give Dwayne any miracles. What he's saying is I don't respect any person, but if I can do a miracle in those who are not quite up to par, maybe that will sure up their faith that I can. Are you following what I'm saying? Faith, look at somebody beside you say, miracles develop faith. Miracles develop faith. Now, I want you to hear me. Jesus' disciples were probably a little bit mixed up at this point. Why were they a little bit mixed up? Because Jesus wasn't the first one that claimed to be the Messiah. 
Jesus wasn't the first one that made that claim during their lifetimes. In other words, they had heard John the Baptist uh, say, here's the Messiah. But Israel had, was a hotbed of unrest, and many had come saying they were the Messiah. In other words, there were terrorist groups like the Zealots springing up everywhere. We have two such uprisings referred to in the book of Acts. There was, uh, there was uh, Thetis who had led a revolt of 400 men that had to be put down by the Romans. And then there was Judas of Galilee in Acts 5 verses 36 and 37 who led a revolt and claimed to be the Messiah. And we also see right here that, there was, that, that he is declaring to them, I am not just claiming to be, I am. I'm not just claiming to be, I am. But this miracle clinched it for the disciples. The Bible says that after this miracle in Canaan, they believed in Him. All of a sudden, He's not like these other messiahs. He's set apart from these other messiahs because He's not coming saying, let's pick up arms and attack Rome. He's saying, listen, I came to bring the kingdom and the kingdom brings change and change brings miracles and wonders. I'm here to tell you, church, don't Don't underestimate the miracles and the wonders that God is ready to do in your life. And I'm just going to go a step further. If I need a miracle in my life, don't bother praying for me if you don't believe He can do it. Don't bother praying at all if you don't believe my God can do the, 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 the miraculous and the supernatural. Well, that was for the time of the disciples. He was making his point. No, that is for today, my friend, because all the things of the Spirit, all the goodness of God is yes and amen. We need to start believing God for everything that He can do. His blood, the new one, represented represented that new covenant, that change that was coming about in their lives. It produced the confidence that they needed. It it, it represented that change that the kingdom was going to bring everything they needed. The confidence that they now had was going to be stronger than ever. They took Jesus at His word. Even though... At times it was unreasonable to give the master of the banquet water when he would have expected wine could have been a disaster. I want you to think about that. I think about the servants a lot. This goes back to last week's message. Positioning means I'm obedient. Mary told the servants, do what he says. A lot of times we're not receiving miracles in our lives because we refuse to do what we're told to do. Amen. Naaman refused to do what he was told to do. And his servant looked and said, Look, what do you have to lose? You made the journey to Israel. What do you have to lose to go and wash in the River Jordan? Nothing. So he went And on the seventh time, I want you to think about that. He had to bathe seven times, dip seven times. Here we go, Maddie. One, nothing. Still a leper. Two, still a leper. Three, still a leper. Four, I'm still a leper. Five, I'm still a leper. This is ridiculous. This is silly. Six, I'm still a leper. You're kidding me. Seven, 
He comes up and his skin is like the skin of a child. It's, it's renewed. It's refreshed. It is just, it's brand new. What are you saying? If he had not dipped all seven times, he would have went back to his country a wet leper. How many times does God tell us, if you'll do this, I'll do this, but yet we don't fully obey. We don't follow through. In other words, we're, God says you want anointing in your life, then carve out a prayer time in your life. Carve out a time in my word in your life. And I want you to understand we live in scheduled, we're a scheduled world. If you don't schedule God in your schedule, you won't do it. You won't do it. Well, I'll pray on my way to work. No, I'm talking about getting away alone where there are no distractions. You want anointing? You want miracles in this church? You want the gifts of the Spirit? Get alone with God. Make a scheduled time. And I'm telling you, He will bless like you've never seen before. Mm. You got to make time for Him. I just don't have time. You make time for everything else. I'll just be honest with you. I can't sit and gorge on Netflix for four or five hours on a Saturday night and walk into this pulpit and expect the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can't do it. There's a price to be paid if I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you something. God is my witness. I want the anointing of the Holy Ghost in my life. I won't settle for anything less. You don't need to settle for anything less in you. If you want God to move in your family, carve out a time for God. You want God to move in your workplace, carve out a time for God. You want to see miracles and wonders and signs that point to Jesus and build the faith of the unbelievers to trust Him for salvation, then carve out a time for God. Make a time and don't let anybody invade it. Turn your phone off and be unavailable for an hour. I'm trying to be accountable because I need to be healthy to carry our church to where we're headed. And so in Man Cave a few weeks ago, I gave permission to our men to be up in my business about my health. And if I don't carve out the time, I won't do it. And I'm busy. When somebody's needing a miracle in their life, I would hate for them to come and I'm saying, I'm sorry, the tank is empty because I've been too busy. It's just not there. What does prayer do? Time with God do. It fills up the water pots. So that when he pours me out, oh my goodness. It's nothing but him. It's nothing but him. You want to see God move at harvest like he's never moved before? Then we have to start expecting a miracle. And we got to start making ourselves available for it. I got to hurry. This all right? If the servants had not obeyed him, there would have been no miracle in Canaan. Oh, yeah, God would have done it anyway. No. 
There would have been no miracle in Canaan, and there would have been disgrace upon that family. You say, I, I don't believe that. God would have done it anyway. If blind Bartimaeus had not thrown off the beggar's cloth, he would have remained a blind beggar. If Zacchaeus had not climbed up the tree, he would have gone the rest of his life without seeing the Messiah. If the woman with the issue of blood had not crawled through the crowd, she would have remained with an issue of blood till she died. If the blind man had not went and washed his eyes, he would have still been blind. If the little boy with his lunch had not offered it to Jesus, the 5,000 would have stayed hungry. What are you saying, Pastor? Bring what you have to the Lord and be amazed at what He does with it. Mm. The last thing is prophetic. Jesus never wants us to settle for the ordinary. The last thing I want to point out about this miracle is that it was prophetic. It prophesied of the coming of the kingdom and the new covenant and the blood that would be shed on the cross. It prophesied that Jesus was the Messiah come to earth. It also prophesies to us today that no matter where, we, where you're at with God, He has saved the best for last. And I think a lot of us feel like maybe we've given all we got. Maybe this is as good as it's going to get for me. I've got news for you. He's saving the best for last. This wine tasted better than any wine they had brought out prior to it. Why? Because God always saves the best for last. In other words, if you read the story, it always is the best for last. In other words, I'm thankful for the crucifixion, but if there hadn't have been a resurrection, come on church, if there hadn't have been a resurrection, then that means we followed a lie. That means he wasn't who he said he was. But on the third day, the ground began to shake, and the, and the stone rolled away, and out from the grave came the Messiah, the King, the Lord God Almighty, the Christ. Everything he said he was was proved at the end. He saved the best for last. And honestly, that wasn't even the last because he's coming again. Oh my goodness. He's coming again. Saving the best for last. Our God is a God of second chances. Jesus acted out of compassion for the bridegroom at the, and the wedding was spared and saved embarrassment. The bridegroom were given another chance. In, in the gospel, it is all about getting given another chance. Our God is a God of second chances, third chances, as many as it takes. God wants you to have faith in him. The choice, uh, like the servant, is ours. In other words, I like what Ronnie Buckingham wrote. He said, at the wedding in Canaan, it is interesting that Jesus waited until the resources had run dry before he performed the miracle. Sometimes God waits till you're on empty before he comes through. Sometimes he waits that you have done all you can do to fix the problem. You say, well, you know, they could have went and bought more wine. You're not, not in that culture. You couldn't get that much wine. You realize you had to get that wine way ahead of time to have enough for a feast. There wasn't no corner store. There wasn't no place they could go. In other words, they had run out of everything they had to offer. Some of us feel like we got a lot to offer to God, and I'm telling you, you got nothing. I got nothing. 
And when we give all that we have and we are on empty, that is when God can fill us with what really changes the world. I want what really changes the world. How about you? I want what really will make a difference in our community, in our county. In other words, preachers are a dime a dozen. Churches are a dime a dozen. But what we need is a supernatural move of God and that comes through us emptying ourselves of religion, emptying ourselves of what we have to offer and say, now God, that we're empty and our resources are dry. Fill us with what seems to be ordinary. (laughs) Water. But when it's offered out, it will bless a generation. John Piper. If you ever read John Piper, it'll make your head hurt. (laughs) But he wrote this in his book, Uh, or an article I read, Power of a Future Possession. Listen to this. We're closing with this. The cost of food in the kingdom is hunger for the bread of heaven instead of the white bread the world offers at your convenience. Do you want it? Are you hungry? Or are you satisfied with yourself and your television, your computer, your job, and your family? Are you content with the white bread the world is offering you? Does it fill you for the moment? Are you like many and you hunger for more? Likewise, the cost of new wine, <laughs> new wine that Jesus offered is thirst. You want new wine? Or are you thirsty? You want miracles? Or are you thirsty? You want a move of God? You got to first be thirsty. I want you to stand. This is for everybody in the room, including these on this stage. There's more than singing I want you to hear me today. You've got to be empty. You've got to be empty. And this altar call is simply this. Empty yourself. Everything you got... God doesn't need a full vessel. He needs an empty one. You want to see miracles? You got to be empty. And then He will fill you. I'd love to tell you with Laura Joe that we felt all heaven come down, but it was just an ordinary prayer. Ordinary prayer, it scared her to death. She's a baby. But it was ordinary. Those of you that were up here praying with her, did you leave there with this overwhelming supernatural feeling that God had miraculously moved in this child? I didn't. Maybe you did. Maybe you're more in tune than I am. Now, I believe God could do it. I really did. But I didn't leave there Gina, with this overwhelming feeling that it was done. It was water. But when it was... But out of it came wine. Out of it came wine. 
Some of you have prayed ordinary prayers over your family out of its coming wine, but you've got to believe it. You pray prayers over, over your job or over your ministry. You've got to believe out of its coming. It's the ordinary, but out of its coming wine. And that wine will bless the earth. And it won't be, oh, look at the wine Phil has. It's going to be, he's just an ordinary guy. So what is happening must be God. Must be God. God is not looking for the next kingdom superstar. He's looking for ordinary people that are ready to be filled so that they can be poured out to this world. If that's you, then I'm going to give an ordinary altar call. You should already be down here. You want to see God move? You should already be down here. You need a miracle? You should already be down here. You want to see your ministry grow? You should already be down here. You want to have a ministry? You should already be down here. You want to see God move? Miracles come through vessels that are empty. Amen. <clears throat> we would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.